who was lame at birth, who was carried daily. Okay, think about that. Lame from birth, daily. Um, at a predominant location by, in the temple, the beautiful gates. In a strategic location, a strategic location, so that he can maximize his alms being taken in, right? You don't want to hide in the, some obscure place if you're seeking alms, right? You want to go somewhere where everyone can see you. The reason why I'm saying that I think might become clear to you guys as we were looking at this. Even now, you probably know what I'm kind of getting at here. So you have Peter and John, and, and you know they're full of the Holy Spirit, right? And they walk by this guy. And sometimes we do things, even filled with the Holy Spirit, that just normal things, things unexpected, you know, usual things. But sometimes you get one of these kind of moments where you're like, we should do something about this. You know what I'm saying? Because these guys walked by this, this fella probably quite a, quite a lot. And so he was probably already well known to Peter, John, and other people, right? But then all of a sudden, the thing is, what does it take to actually just stop and do something like, well, I don't know, we see in verse 3. Or, or actually verse 4, rather, where Peter, he directs his gaze at him. So he looks at him. He fixes his eyes upon him, and as did John. And they say, look at us. Okay, now this right here is a bold thing. And yes, it takes the Holy Spirit to do a bold thing like this. Um, the Holy Spirit is necessary. You have to have the Holy Spirit to do these amazing, unexpected things. We need it as a church. And the thing is, but sometimes there's certain things that get in the way. And I think the biggest problem, I think, for, for the most part is, is pride. You know, like, uh, you know, and, and so some of us might think today, well, Holy Spirit doesn't do things like heal lame people and whatnot. It's not like they did with the apostles. And, and, and the reason why they might think that is because of the, the pride. Well, because we don't see it happening anymore. God doesn't do it. But is that true? Does God stop doing it? Is His Holy Spirit crippled? Is His Holy Spirit ineffective? No. So, so, so a lot of times we don't see things happening in our own lives. We don't blame it on ourselves. We blame it on God. He just decides not to do things like this anymore. And that is pride. Another thing is pride doesn't like to fail. So Because pride is, is sensitivity. When the person's full of pride, they're full of themselves, and therefore they're sensitive. And they don't like the feeling of failure. And we've already did a message on failure and how failure is actually good. Failure is good. Business people look at failure as a positive thing. It's a step of growth. It's the fearing. It's the stifling. It's like, uh, I don't want to do this because what if we mess up? This what if we fail attitude. That is what stifles a church. That is what stifles the work of the Holy Spirit. That is what keeps us in our cozy homes and our little churches free from doing amazing things. But, but when, when that pride, that self, is 
sufficiently killed, <laughs> you know, it, it starts, it stops feeling things like pride. It stops feeling that sensitivity and is more, more willing than not to actually do things like, okay, I might mess up here. <laughs> I might be wrong. Maybe it's not God telling me to, to, to go over to this person, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyways. Right? That's kind of, I mean, think about what happened in, in Peter and in John in their, in their heads. What if, I can guarantee you, they weren't perfect. Okay? I can guarantee you they had these what ifs, just like you and I have. What if God's not really speaking here? What if the Holy Spirit doesn't really want, the Holy Spirit doesn't use us like a puppet and force us to do things that are, that, that's a problem with some of the kind of, you know, hyper Pentecostal and Christian churches is they feel like the Holy Spirit takes over it and you lose control. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit says, go. The Holy Spirit says, I will give you the power. I will give you the words. But we have to act upon it. And so because of that, a lot of times fear or pride, I don't want to look bad. What if my doctrine's wrong? What if I don't do it right? What if I don't say the right things? These things stop us from being used by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, okay. I'm here. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to give you the power you need. So I can imagine Peter and John at, at this moment going, but what if we make a fool of ourselves? I mean, after all, the church is brand new. They're getting, I mean, there's a lot of people coming. What if we mess this whole thing up? What if we go and say, hey, lame man, walk. And he falls and everyone laughs at us. And then all the people on the whole of Jerusalem will say, oh, it's all a fake. It's all bogus. Those Christians, what they like? And the next thing you know, all those thousands of people who've given their life to the Lord, the receivers or believers, however you want to call them. I call them disciples usually, you know, because they're being discipled in the Lord. They're going to go away. So, you know what, let's, let's do the safe thing. And let's just keep walking by this, this lame man. Let's do the safe thing. And I think for a lot of us, we'd probably want to do that. Let's just do the safe thing. Let's just walk by the lame man and just go do our thing. We go to the temple, we're going to pray, we're going to, you know, we're going to do some awesome religious things, but let's just forget about this guy, because if we mess this up, it's not just us who are going to be affected by it, it's everyone. That, I mean, that's a good reason to walk by, right? Well, let's see what they did. He said, look at us, and then he fixed his attention on them, expecting to re some, receive something from them. Of course, that's the expected thing to do. Oh, okay, you're going to give me some money? Cool. Bring it on. But instead, Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I mean, that is bold. <laughs> that is really, really bold. And, and you know what? I hate to say it, guys, but the Holy Spirit is with you just as much as the Holy Spirit's with Peter and John. So what's the difference between Peter and John and us? I don't know. Fill in the blank. I think they're bold. That's one thing. They're bold. I mean, oh, wow, crazy. I mean, we don't have to see things like that in our lives. We don't have to. We can go on. We can walk by the lame man every day. We, can, we, we have that choice. But to have the, the strength to do that, it blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. So in verse 7, um, he took him. By the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. 
again, to to have someone crippled walking into the temple, it's, you know, not really looked down upon. Certainly if you were like, um, say, a leopard, they wouldn't want you anywhere on the temple. But a crippled person, it's just, it's it's not, not, not a pleasant thing to have around the temple. You know, we don't want the cripples around the temple. But this is probably this man's first time ever in the temple. You know, how awesome. I get to be close to God today. Well, here's the irony. He was close to God right there and then. He didn't need to go to the temple. God was with him. But, but still, it was cool that he was able to get up and go into the temple for the first time in his life. So he's walking, leaping, leaping. <laughs> so it wasn't just a trick. Okay? And that's the thing. You know, I mean, there's a lot of tricksters we know in the world. And this wasn't a trick. This was a genuine act of God, a, a miracle. As, as the Bible says, we've already used, seen the term miracles and wonders. This is a wonderful thing, a wondrous thing, a miraculous thing, an intervention of God. Walking, praising God. And recognized, all the people saw him walking. And then so these people also recognized him as the one who sat. And I think that's an important fact. And Luke is really good about putting the details um, because he was recognized as, oh, we know him because since birth, he's been unable to walk. And for many years, he's been sitting here, you know, sitting here at this beautiful gate, at this entrance. Everyone sees him. Everyone knows who he is. They recognize him. And now they're taking notice that what's happening here is significant. Okay? It's significant. It's not bogus. It's not a trick. It's a significant thing. And they're asking, um, or then they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Next slide, please. So, uh, like I've already just said, um, if Peter and John walked by this guy for many years, or well, many days, weeks, whatever, since the Holy Spirit came upon them, what about before Pentecost? We know Jesus was at the temple quite a bit. Did Jesus walk by the same guy? We know Jesus did a lot of healings, right? Jesus had the ability to heal, right? But why didn't Jesus? I know I'm speculating a wee bit here, but think about this. From all the information we've just gathered from this, this chapter, this man has probably been there for a long time. They recognized him. He was an old boy at a place where everyone would walk by and see him. And he was not just recently crippled. He's been crippled since birth. So, what, so the odds of Jesus actually walking by him, seeing him and not healing him is an option. But why? Well, again, let's, let's just back up the fact that, that Jesus was the temple. It says in Luke twenty two fifty three, Jesus saying himself, when I was with you day after day in the temple. So Jesus did go to the temple quite often. You did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour in the darkness, in the power of darkness. Also, Matthew 21, 14 says this. And the blind and the lame came to him where? In the temple. And he healed them. So why didn't that, if there was actual healing going on, why did they not bring him? Maybe, maybe he just didn't like Jesus and he didn't want to go there. That's, that's an option, I guess. I don't know. Well, I have some other options here. Well, first of all, kind of the black and white options. First of all, did Jesus heal him? But then, but, but just maybe he wasn't aware of it. Maybe people weren't aware of it. Maybe he just, maybe he was healed the whole time and then just didn't know it. I kind of don't go for that. The reason why is whenever Jesus did a miracle, it was evidenced significantly, okay? There wasn't these kind of, you know, pseudo-healings. Jesus never did a pseudo-healing 
where, well, you're healed, but you just don't know it yet. When will I know it? When I'm in heaven? You know, I mean, he didn't do that kind of stuff. When he healed, we did a miracle, it was significant because it always was followed by these amazements and wonders and excitement, okay? So the fact, so, so, so did Jesus heal him, but the guy just didn't know about it, but he was kind of maybe fooling himself? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because here, there's a significant difference. He was healed and it was manifested in a radical response. So the, I guess the other option really is Jesus chose not to heal him. And it could be for various reasons. Maybe the guy didn't believe in Jesus and didn't, couldn't be bothered to be taken to him. Maybe he couldn't find anyone to take him to Jesus. But regardless, Jesus did probably walk by him at least a few times. But for some reason, Jesus chose not to heal him. And that's something we as Christians need to also reconcile. That, um, that God is sovereign. You know what that means? Sovereign. That means God's in control. And sometimes... Things happen in ways we don't like it, but we wouldn't regularly expect God to do. And, and maybe sometimes it, it, it makes us frustrated, angry, doubtful. But think about this. Maybe Jesus, when he saw the man, he thought about Peter. He goes, you know what? Peter's going to need this. John's going to need this. Okay? Not now. You're going to be okay, fella. You're going to be okay. God's going to take care of you. But not now. And that's one thing, another thing as people we don't like is waiting. <laughs> and I think this is where a lot of our theological doubts come from. I'm cool with God, but I'm not cool with waiting. I want things on my terms and I want now. What if Jesus said, look at him, he loved that man. And he says, you're going to be healed someday. Just, just wait a couple years. You know, just wait. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. But just you need trust in me. Because isn't, isn't one of the keystones of Christianity faith? Isn't that one of the key elements? Isn't faith require trusting in God? Just take, just, I've got you, I've got your situation under control. But Peter's going to need this. Because as we're going to see really quick here, this man and what happens here at this important crucial time of the church and its birth and its infancy is going to bring a lot of people to Christ. So Jesus could have healed them like many others. And if you notice, because it was pre-Pentecost, Jesus' ministry, there wasn't a lot of people converted. He just had his few followers, right? But after Pentecost, the church started growing rapidly. So if he would have, I hate to use the word wasted, but if he would have wasted his, his, his power on this man then, oh yeah, he's just another one of those you know, guys he healed. Because look, he healed many blind and lame people, right? Many. But this one is special. This one's special. It's not that Jesus, it's not that he didn't have enough faith. It's not that Jesus didn't like him. It's because he's special. Special enough to wait. And then here's Peter. Here's John. Here's the opportunity. Now is the time for healing. Now is the time for healing. And so here in John 9, 3, it says that Jesus, Jesus speaking here, says, it was not that this man sinned, nor his parents but that the work of God might be displayed in him. So why a person's heal, not heal, has nothing to do with their sin, you know, their behavior, their attitude, whatever. It has to do with God getting glory. So the work of God might be displayed. And here, when John, and here when Peter walking by this guy, this is the moment where God will be displayed for all the people. So again, reminding ourselves, what's the purpose? What's the mission of the church? Here's an opportunity. 
Again, remember, you know, it, well, this is a consequence, by the way. I put Acts 4, 4, this is the consequence of this, of this event here. Many of those who had heard the word believed, the number of the men came about 5,000. So this moment, this, this moment with this, this encounter with this fellow ultimately led to this right here. The word being preached, an explanation of what's happening, people hearing, people receiving, 5,000 people giving their lives to God. Okay, so you see the difference? If Jesus would have done it earlier, maybe that wouldn't have happened. And I think Jesus was aware of it. Next slide, please. So here is Peter. As I said, first, and the thing is, whenever God does a work, he always communicates. And we already talked about that when the, when the, the tongues came. It, tongues wasn't to confuse and kerfuffle and even to amaze and to bewilder people. It was to communicate clearly to people. People heard the word in their own native language crystal clear. So a part of the ministry of, of, of the, the church and the work of the Holy Spirit is to communicate clearly the message. So here Peter begins, and, and it's a longer sermon. This is funny how sermons, you know, the first sermon I ever see preached from Peter was a really short and simple one. And then already it starts to get a little bit compli- complicated in, how, you know, in history, of course, complicates things. But that's okay, though, because the, the premise is all the same. It's all the basic premises, even though he gets a little bit more wordy in this one. So it says in verse 11 that while he clung to Peter and John, this is the layman who just was healed, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the, in the portico or porch called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, this God you guys should know. You know God, don't you? You come to this temple all the time, don't you? Don't you know who God is and what he does? Well, guess what? That's God also glorified his servant. That's Jesus Christ. And of course, the poor part of the message is our message, the church message, is that we talk about God but we also talk about the Son who's glorified. We have to bring that in because it's in the name of Jesus that we're saved, that we're rescued, that we're delivered. So Jesus, the Son of God who was glorified, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. That blows my mind because it's almost like a total oxymoron. How do you make the author of life dead. Well, we know, because we read from last week's sermon, that you can't kill the author of life. You know what I'm saying? Well, you can kill him, but he can't remain dead for long. You know what I'm saying? Because he's the author of life. And of course, here's the consequence. You, you killed him, but God raised him. To this, we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. Jesus, the power of God, made this man strong, whom you see now. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So remember, guys, God does these things for a reason, so that we can make it very clear, the message. The message is what? Well, first of all, let's go way back. What's the mission? What's the purpose of the church? It's to go out, preaching, making disciples, immersing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
that's the mission. Go out. Give the message. What's the message? The gospel. We've been seeing it last week. We're seeing it today. We're going to see it again. So by the end of the Acts, we should be, well, I hate to say it. It's so simple. We should already be experts in the gospel. It is easy. It's easy. Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. Now repent. You know, he was alive and then he was dead. He was raised from the grave. Power conquered death, conquered sin, conquered evil. Guess what? Repent. That's the message. It never changes for thousands of years. That's still the same message. Next slide. So in summary, we see the Holy Spirit has arrived. Right, guys? The Holy Spirit has come. He gifted Peter the ability to communicate to a multitude of people. Then Peter gives this really simple message. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for. This is evidenced by him being raised from the grave. Simple as that. I mean, still to this day, if you say, listen, God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ. How we know that Jesus, the Messiah, is because he was killed and then he rose from the grave. Still to this day, that's a very important message. It's a simple message, but it's also a message that breeds a lot of doubt. Because people in our generation want to talk about the historical Jesus, the man who inspired many. But they don't want to talk about the Son of God, the Messiah, who was killed and then raised from the grave three days. That becomes fantasy and religiosity for many people. But that's the fact. That's who we're talking about. Okay, so then this, number three, needs a response. We already saw this earlier in, in, in Acts 2, right? A response. In him, salvation and forgiveness of sins. So we need to respond to the message. And that's the thing. Sometimes people want to hear the message. They want to talk about it. They want to theorize about it. But how are you going to respond to it? This message needs a adequate, proper response. You know, it needs to be, the question needs to be asked still today, as much as it was back then. What do I do now, God? What do we do now, God? And Peter already gave a description of what to do earlier, and he's going to give another description, which is very similar today. So God uses the apostles to heal this man. This is to get the attention of the people. That's my opinion. Hey, guys, listen. Now I got your attention. This is to direct people to God, that he may be glorified. Again, it's not for vainglory. It's for God's glory. Peter gives another simple message, and this is what we're looking at right now. Jesus was rejected by Peter's audience. Say, hey, guys, I love you, but you rejected Jesus, okay? Remember, Pilate wanted to kind of let him go. He didn't want to be bothered with all this stuff, and he insisted on him dying. Okay, just a reminder. <laughs> it was only happened weeks ago. However, he is risen from the grave. So same message earlier. Jesus Messiah is evidenced by him being raised from the, risen from the grave. Same message. He is risen from the grave. The same power that raised Jesus also healed this man. Next slide, please. So, like I said, a response is needed. There's the message. Said and done. Simple. But now a response needs to happen. And again, this is structurally speaking the same as the message was before in Acts 3. Or in Acts 2, rather. But in Acts 3, now we see in verse 17. This is, uh, again, I section this up like the Messiahship, who God Christ is. In light of future judgment. Remember we saw this all last week? You know, we're saved from future judgment. And then this is for you. Now repent, basically. Right? So let's just read through it. Verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore. Again, response. 
Jesus is the Messiah that God has foretold about. Now repent, which means change. Well, he actually defines himself. I don't need to say anything. And turn back from your sins, that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I like that. That's why I highlighted it. I always highlight words I like. Think about that. Times are refreshing. This world is stressful. This world is chaotic and dark. Jesus can give us little times of refreshing. It comes from the presence. It comes from actually having God hanging about. You know? Verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things. Again, earlier talked about the day of the Lord, which is a time of future judgment. Here again, he's making reference to it. The time of restoring all things to God. Spoken by the mouth of holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. So day judgment is going to come. People need to be saved from this judgment, from this day of the Lord, this day of wrath. And there's one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ, the one sent by God. And this is for, for you. Verse 24, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and from those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons, the prophets, and of the covenant that God made for your fathers, saying Abraham. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sending him to you first to bless you by turning everyone from your wickedness. So again, they're like, wait a second. You're pinning on this death of Christ on us, which is true. So that means we're dead meat. No, but you're not. That's the beautiful thing about God's grace. You're not dead meat. Yes, you will be judged. But you have the option of re- repentance, turning back to God, receiving Christ, and that judgment will pass over you. Right? That's what he's basically saying here. And guess what? This is for you. When the prophet spoke, he spoke of you. This is for you guys. This is good news, and that's the reason why we call the gospel the good news. 